Hello and welcome to episode number 84 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is your host, Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline as we start off our final conference in our summer preview series, the Pac-12. We'll also take a look at a few games on the schedule with the season fast approaching for the majority of FBS teams. But before we do that, there are four teams that have already played. Did you get to watch any of Florida, Miami, or Hawaii, Arizona, Tony? You know, I watched the Hawaii-Arizona game. The first half was wild, as you would expect uh, with those two teams that really don't have very good defenses. Florida-Miami, I watched the day later, and uh, that game was kind of wild, too. It was an interesting game. Uh, you know, that kept you glued to the television till the end. I heard the, the ratings were huge. Uh, and I think uh, the outcome was not unexpected because when we did our SEC preview, I basically gushed over Dan Mullen and said how well the Florida Gator is a coach. And I, I think it came out. I mean, they got major contributions from one guy that was a first-year player there, uh, Jonathan Grenard, who we talked about during our Florida Gator podcast, uh, pass rusher who was a transfer from Louisville, set out 2018, and scouts believe he could be a second-day pick. And, and then they got a, a great contribution by a safety by the name of Juwan Taylor, same name as the offensive lineman that was selected uh, in the second round last year, different position, a lot smaller. I mean, Juwan Taylor came in for the suspended Brad Stewart, a guy who I think could be a second-round pick, and played lights out. And Juwan Taylor, the safety, was not even graded by scouts coming into the year. He's not even on the scouting radar. But after that game, he's put his name on the scouting radar. And, you know, it's going to be a, a watch-and-see type of situation with Taylor. So the usual first game sloppiness, but it was exciting and interesting. Yeah, as you said, you know, week one game, teams coming out. It's going to be sloppy football. There were a lot of penalties. There are a lot of things going on, turnovers, bad decision-making. But in the end, as you said, it was the difference in line play and the fact that Miami's offensive line just couldn't hold up for four quarters against those Florida defensive players. Uh, you know, that game and just the length of the game being 60 minutes rather than 40 or 45 really allowed Florida to get back in it. You kind of got that feeling throughout the game that Miami just wasn't able to put Florida away. Not that we expected them to be able to, but they let them hang around even with the fumbles early, even with couple interceptions late and they just let them stick around long enough that Florida was able to kind of pull it out in the end. Now we're going to get going in just a moment here but first a quick word from our sponsor. You know Chris it's a new season. Antonio Brown is on the Raiders complaining about his helmet. Le'Veon Bell is with the New York Jets although he hasn't taken a snap during the preseason and Odell Beckham is in Cleveland and to his credit really you know keeping his mouth shut but you know Chris the one thing that hasn't changed where people are putting their money down on all the games. MyBookie.com is the place to bet on football every weekend. MyBookie.com has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sportsbook, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000. And we all know everyone can use 100K. And it only costs $100 to enter. You must be 21 or older to bet. All you have to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. Now, I recommend go to my bookie and sign up for the super contest or the entire season. They will double your first deposit up to $1,000 if you use the promo code DRAFT to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E. And don't forget to use the promo code DRAFT, D-R-A-F-T, when creating your account to claim that bonus. 
MyBookie offers live in-game betting on every NFL game. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet on the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each game. They support us. We use them. We like them. And we think you guys should too. Bet. Win. Get paid. Getting back to the podcast as usual, the Pac-12 is our conference for this week. They had 36 players drafted in April's draft, which is actually the third most among the Power Five conferences behind, obviously, the SEC and also the Big Ten. Beat out the ACC and Big 12 in terms of volume on the draft. Three first-rounders selected, all on offense. Eight more players on day two, five of them on defense. So some good balance in the first 100 picks there. Four players from Washington, two from Utah, two from Stanford. Tony, should we expect similar results from the Pac-12 in the 2020 draft? Very much so. I mean, right now I have uh, three uh, Pac-10, uh, Pac-12, Pac-12 players dating myself. Pac-12 players graded as first-round picks all around offense. Obviously, at the top or one of the first guys who's going to be selected may not be the highest guy graded out of uh, from the Pac-10. It's going to be quarterback Justin Herbert. They got a good number of uh, second-day picks, and there's a lot of depth. Right now, on the last day, I mean, guys, that could be your second or third tight ends, your, your nickel or dime backs. Uh, and this is inclusive of all the underclassmen. Uh, and it's spread out. I mean, Oregon State is really the only team that doesn't have representation as far as draftable players. Uh, Colorado, Oregon, Stanford, Utah uh, really have a, a good number of quality players and, and players that could potentially be taken on the last day of the draft. Now, before we officially start, we're going to switch up our format just a little bit on this final show. Instead of me going through all the key players from each team, their stats, their background, a couple of quick traits, and then Tony following up with his analysis, we're going to break it up a little more. I'll mention one or two guys. Tony will respond, and we'll give you a bit more quick-hitting info than those long monologues where we're each talking for a minute or two. That being said, we are going to start with Arizona, who we talked about in the lead into the show. Lost a 45-38 shootout versus Hawaii in their opener Saturday. The Wildcats were 5-7 and seven last year. Over the last five years, just one bowl win, and that number matches the players they had drafted back in April. Defensive tackle P.J. Johnson in the seventh round was their lone representative. 2020 for them does look a little bit similar. Linebacker Colin Schooler has the only draftable grade on our board. He started as a freshman in 2017, ended up fifth in the Pac-12 with 119 tackles last season, over the last two years, 35 tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks, four interceptions. So he's been very productive on the field. He's only 230 pounds, though, which is one of the negatives on his game. Cornerback Jace Whitaker didn't start the season in 2018, had a hamstring injury that was lingering from camp in August. He returned on September 15th, but on the first series, he hurt his elbow, ended up having to take a medical redshirt for the season. He did start in both 2016 and 2017 was second in the Pac-12 in 2017 with 16 passes defended, which included three interceptions. Picked off two passes in the opener versus Hawaii as well. He's 5'11", 185, obviously has some good ball skills. Tony, what are your thoughts on the Wildcats' defensive prospects? Yeah, if Schooler is 230 pounds, uh, I, I'd be surprised. He's more like 5'11", 225 pounds. But he's what NFL teams like in linebackers these days. Undersized, explosive, very fast in pursuit. Only a third-year junior. A guy like that, his draft grade, his, where he ultimately ends up in the draft or whether or not he's even drafted at all, will depend on his 40 time. As far as Whitaker's concerned, he's the only uh, Arizona Wildcat that's received the draftable grade from scouts. He's got good size. He's shown good ball skills. Sat on the sidelines last year with an elbow injury, as you mentioned. 
speed is a big question for him. I mean, he's estimated to be a guy that runs north of four five five, which is going to hurt him. A guy like that, I don't think uh, gets selected. He could peek his head into the very late rounds, uh, but you got to wait and see how he plays this year, returning from the injury, and more importantly, how he works out. Now, offensively, obviously, Khalil Tate, the quarterback, is the prospect to watch. The six foot, two hundred and fifteen pound dual threat. Completed 62% of his passes last year. Only threw about 16 passes per game, though. Threw 38 in the opener versus Hawaii. So about 150% more passes already. Maybe they open up that offense just a little bit more for him. 14 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. Totaled 1,411 yards and 12 scores on the ground. Had 469 yards on those 39 passes that I mentioned. Three touchdowns, two interceptions. 108 rushing yards and 361 through the air. Tate had a lot of hype at one point, especially early in his career. But you have him graded as a UDFA, Tony. Why is that? Because in large part, he's never met the expectations. He's never lived up to that hype. You know, I really want to like Tate, but I just see a big-armed athlete on the football field rather than a developing passer. I mean, he can make all the throws. He can pick up a lot of yardage with his legs, as he did against Hawaii this past weekend. He can fling the ball down the field, in the pocket, or on the move. But he just makes too many mistakes. His accuracy just gets too far away from him. He needs a lot of work on his mechanics. I mean, basically, he needs work from the ground up. He's going to need a very good quarterback coach. And while he is a big, strong-armed athlete, he is really a long way from being a passer, never mind being NFL-ready, which is why I have I've stamped him as a free agent. Now, we'll stay in-state here with Arizona State. Four straight seasons, either under 500 or losing a bowl game. Two players drafted this past April, Nikhil Harry in round one and Rennell Wren in round four. There is a lot of talent that remains for the Sun Devils on offense, namely running back Eno Benjamin. First team All-Pac-12 selection last year, led the conference in rushing in his first season as a starter. He's 5'10", 210 pounds, caught 35 passes as well. So he doesn't quite have feature back size, but he's quick, elusive, he's competent on all three downs. Where do you see him fitting in as an NFL player, Tony? You know, I like him as a situational type of guy, someone who's a third down back, someone who can spell a starter on occasion or even be an occasional starter. There are some scouts who feel he can be a feature runner at the next level and have graded him as a second rounder. I've got a third round grade on him. But basically, he has a complete game. I mean, he's, he likes to grind it on the inside. He's a tough ball carrier, even though he's a little bit small. He's got the speed and quickness to turn the corner. He's got the ability to make defenders miss. He is a terrific pass catcher out of the backfield. You know, I really like his game on the college level. I just don't think it projects to uh, Benjamin being a feature runner in the NFL. But he's got the skills. He's definitely going to play at, at the next level. It's just where NFL decision makers uh, project his position at the next level. Position being, is he a feature runner? Is he a situational runner? Is he a third down back? And as we've seen, there's guys that can make impacts in the NFL on 12 to 14 touches here. So you don't have to be a feature back to be an impact NFL player. Arizona State does have another skill player that we're going to stick with here. Wide receiver Brandon Ayuk is a JUCO transfer. He's the second leading receiver last season as he takes over for Nikhil Harry now in 2019. He's 6'1", 206 pounds. Finished strong last year. 24 of his 33 catches and 370 of his 474 receiving yards came in the final seven games. He also returned both punts and kicks, which is always an advantage for draft prospects, as we say every time. He has a big opportunity this year, Tony. What's AX draft stock look like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some scouts grade him as a sixth rounder. I have him as a fifth rounder. 
different type of receiver from the keel Harry. He's a little bit quicker. He's a little bit faster, much better route runner, a guy who's able to separate through routes or separate with speed, very dependable, catches everything thrown his way. You mentioned the dimension of return specialist, which is why I think if he has a good year and then has some good workouts before the draft, I think he projects well as a valuable fourth or fifth receiver return specialist at the next level. I really like a, you know, uh, long arms, big hands, uh, just gets it mentally and has the physical skills to play at the next level. Now, center Cole Cabral is a two-year starter on the Sun Devils offensive line. He was named second team All-Pac-12 in 2018. He moved from left tackle to center before the 2018 season. So he's versatile. He's an intelligent player as well. Allows him to kind of excel as captain of the offensive line from the middle there. Tony, you only have Cabral rated as a sixth rounder. Can you explain the reasoning? And that's a round earlier than most scouts who have him as a seventh rounder. Early in his career, I really liked Cabral at tackle when I watched him play. But when I studied him with the game film this year, you know, he's a solid center, but he shows some stiffness in his game. He's only good in a smaller area. He's not a wide-bodied guy. He comes in under 300 pounds. He's not the greatest athlete in the world. I, I think he's more of a scheme-fit type guy. You're not going to use him as his own blocking center. Uh, he's more of a small area type of guy, and I think that limits him at the next level. I think in the right system, Cabral could play at the next level and potentially start. He's got the mentality. He's got the intensity. He's got the nastiness, but I just don't think he's that good of an athlete uh, that warrants a top 125 selection. Moving a little bit further up the West Coast here to Cal, Golden Bears finally made it back to a bowl game after two sub-500 seasons. They lost 10-7 in overtime to CCU the day after Christmas. No players drafted in April. Unlikely to repeat that, but only third-day prospects from the senior class. They do have two intriguing underclassmen, though. First is quarterback Chase Garbers, solid redshirt freshman season, a 61.2 completion rate, 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, had limited success downfield, but he's accurate. He's a little bit advanced for his level of experience. He's just six foot two, two oh five, so he doesn't have ideal size. But what do you like about Garbers, Tony? When I watch Garbers on the field, minus the size because he is a little bit small, you know, I see a lot of what I saw in Jared Goff early in his career at Cal. A smart guy who's very accurate, you know, not just statistical accuracy. You mentioned the 61.2% completion rating, but a guy who's able to put passes or put the ball where only his receivers uh, can make uh, the reception. I know he had 10 interceptions, but on film, he doesn't make a lot of bad choices. The weapons he has at uh, Cal are, are limited. They're not great receivers, not great pass catchers. I, I just like his game. I like his instincts. I like his intangible. I like his arm strength, too. I mean, he's got a decent arm. Uh, a guy who can make many of the passes. I think his upside is huge. He's got a large upside. If he continues to develop and just fills his frame out physically and gets a little bit stronger, I like uh, what I see from Garbers. Now there's another potential day two underclassman on the Cal roster as well. And that's cornerback Cameron Bynum. He's a two-year starter. He's had multiple interceptions in each of those seasons. Decent size at six foot, 195. Solid in run support as well with good ball skills. Tony, that's really a great base for a corner to work with, isn't it? Yeah, and he and he's got he's good between the ears. He's got decent instincts. He finds the ball in the air. I like his feistiness. I like his cover skills. Uh, a guy who I think has like Garbers has a huge upside. He's got the size to play at the next level. Probably he's going to come in a shade under six foot tall. Uh, plays fast. Uh, a lot of underlying skills, and has shown a lot of flashes on the field last year as a sophomore. If he's able to put it all together. I like his upside, and I think he could be a, a, a second-day pick in the future. 
Now, when we discussed Cal last season, we talked about their linebackers, Jordan Konoshik and Evan Weaver. Konoshik graduated, but Weaver is back, second in the Pac-12 last season with 158 tackles, and that was in his first year as a full-time starter. He was named second team All-Pac-12. Now Konoshik's 148 tackles of his own are gone from the roster. So, hey, maybe Weaver can even bump those numbers up even higher. Also four and a half sacks, two interceptions, nine tackles for loss. Weaver is a guy who is all over the field at 235 pounds, but he's only a fifth-round prospect on our board. Why no higher than that, Tony? Yeah, fifth-round prospect on our board, which is much higher than scouts have him, which is a seventh-round pick. I think that Weaver, unfortunately, is pigeonholed as a two-down defender, but when you watch him, he plays a lot better than that. As you said, he's all over the place. He shows excellent ability and pursuit getting out to the sidelines to make the tackle. He's a nasty guy. He plays smart, instinctive football. He's not bad in coverage. He's more of a zone cover guy where you're just going to drop him back in the box as opposed to put him over a tight end or ask him to cover a running back out of the backfield, which I think limits him. But again, I think he's a guy that you can use on three downs. You can use him on third down and five, just as long as you use him in a zone type situation. Uh, really gave serious consideration to entering last year's draft, made the right decision, and came back. I think if he has a big year, he's going to move to the top of that third day area uh, much higher than scouts predict right now or estimate right now. Now, a couple safeties of note for the Golden Bears Ashton Davis. Six foot one, 200 pounds, a two-year starter at safety, moved from cornerback before the 2017 season. His four interceptions last year were tied for third in the conference. He's also an All-American track star in the 110-meter hurdles after Tony's heart a little bit there. His teammate Jalen Hawkins, another two-year starter, six interceptions last season, which led the Pac-12. He's got better size than Davis at 6'2", 210 pounds. You have Davis around higher than Hawkins, Tony. What do you like more about Ashton Davis? Yeah, and the funny thing is this, is uh, I disagree with scouts on the two of them. Some scouts grade Davis as a potential top 45 pick. That's how highly they think of him, while Hawkins is more of a free agent when you look at the scouts' rankings. Davis, to me, he's too straight line-ish. He's more of a run-only defender that must play downhill. He's not that great in coverage, a very good athlete, but as you said, you know, has a track background, has got to learn to start making plays in reverse as well as he does moving forward. Very intense, a guy who's a hard hitter, a guy who'll create the, the turnovers, but someone who really needs to expand his game and become more versatile. Hawkins does have that versatility. I think Hawkins' ball skills and uh, are better than Davis. I think Hawkins is better in coverage than Davis. What he doesn't have is his speed. I mean, uh, Davis is probably good full one-tenth of a second faster than Hawkins, although Hawkins does play fast. I mean, he, he's not slow a foot on the field. He's very instinctive. He's got slightly better size uh, uh, than uh, Davis. Uh, I think that, you know, Dashton Davis is the better athlete, but I think right now on my board, Jalen Hawkins is a better football player. We'll move a bit east now to Colorado, where the Buffaloes have back-to-back -back five and seven seasons on the ledger. Only one bowl appearance for the team since 2008. Juwan Winfrey was their lone draft pick in April, and his former teammate at wide receiver, LaVisca Chenault, is the big name for the Buffaloes here. First team All-Pac-12 selection last year, 112 receiving yards per game, which led the conference by over 20 yards per game. 86 catches in only nine games. He missed three games with a foot injury. Might have led the nation in catches if he didn't get hurt. He's six foot two, 220 pounds, nearly a consensus first-round prospect. Good size moves well, natural receiver. What's your take on Chenault, Tony? 
Yeah, not only a consensus first round uh, draft pick, but a potential top 15 draft pick. You know, I like Chenault. I like him in a variety of ways. He's very dependable. He obviously has the size. He shows excellent focus and concentration. When you watch the film, even if he's not involved in the play or the play is not in his direction, Chenault goes hard. He gives terrific effort. Uh, you know, the, the things with Chenault are, what's his 40 time going to be? And how's his route running going to be? Is he just a bigger guy who wins out by uh, beating down opponents? You know, he's a good route runner. He's not a real crisp route runner, but he's 215 pounds. He's got decent downfield speed, but he doesn't have that second gear. There's a lot to like about him. I think he projects as a number one at the next level in the right system. His draft grade or where he ends up in the first round in 2020, and I'm told very likely he's going to enter the draft, will depend on his 40 time and his route running and pre-draft workouts. But without a doubt, I think he's going to go top 32. Now, throwing the ball to Chenault is senior quarterback Steven Montez. Improved his completion percentage in 2018, but it was also challenging less downfield. In the end, he's still been very up and down after two years as a starter for Colorado. Does have really good size, 6'5", 230 pounds. Has the arm, also has the athletic ability. So the tools are all there, but he needs a lot of work kind of from the ground up like we were talking about earlier with Khalil Tate, and he really collapsed in the second half last season. Yeah, and the bottom really fell out not only for uh, Montez the second half of the season last year, but for the entire Colorado program. Go back to uh, 2017. If you read what I wrote about uh, Montez off of his sophomore season, I said right then and there he had the makings of a second-day pick. And he looked every bit of that during the first half of the 2018 season. You watched the Nebraska game. I mean, he was spot on. Uh, And there was talk, as we mentioned in in this podcast, uh, last year in November, uh, even October, in his close circle that he was going to enter the draft in, in 2019 because he had played so well the first half of the season. But it just went downhill. Uh, really the, the second half of the year, and, and he had no choice but to uh, return to school. The fact is this, is Montez has got NFL size. He's got NFL physical skills. He's got a great arm. I would say he has a better arm than Justin Herbert. He's able to drive his passes downfield with speed. He's able to make plays in or out of the pocket. When he gets outside the pocket to make the throw on the move, he loses nothing on his throws. For the most part, he's accurate. He just basically needs to get it back together. He needs to make better choices. He needs to show more patience. Scouts grade him as a seventh rounder. I still have him as a fourth round pick right now because I remember what I saw in 2017. I remember what I saw in 2018. I remember that potential there. I love his physical skills. Just have to see how he reacts with the new coaching staff. Obviously, the fact that uh, uh, Chenault was injured at the end of last year didn't help him with the team, but he's got to use more than Chenault. He's got to prove that he's not just the one-receiver guy. You know, Montez is a guy that if he plays well, I think he can move into the second day of the draft. But if he continues the way he is, or he continues what he showed the end of the 2018 season, he could be another Tanner Lee and a guy who just really fails to meet expectations and ends up as a uh, late-round pick. And a big part of Montez bouncing back from that rough second half is going to be his protection up front, and that starts with tackle William Sherman. Started the 2018 season on the bench, but joined the starting lineup for the final nine games of the year as a redshirt freshman. He's already the team's best offensive lineman as a third-year sophomore now. Plenty of eligibility left. Six foot four, 310 pounds. Good movement skills as well. Break down Sherman for us, Tony. Yeah, and when I watched Sherman 
on film. I was so incredibly impressed with them. I made a few phone calls out to people I know in Colorado who are, who are close to the program, and they say, yeah, this guy is really talented. Whether he's going to remain at left tackle because he's a little bit small remains to be seen. But he's athletic. He's flexible. He does a great job bending his knees. He shows the ability to move on his feet. You know, whether he's going to be a left tackle or a zone-blocking guard, that remains to be seen. But right now, off of what I just saw, a, a brief spat nine games last year, I already have him graded as a potential third-round choice. And, and I think the skies is the limit for this kid uh, because he's just going to get bigger. He's going to get stronger. And the more experience he plays, if he, hopefully he stays injury-free, uh, he has tremendous upside in his game. Now, we focused on the Colorado offense so far, but the Buffaloes do have one defensive player that we want to touch on before moving on, and that's linebacker Nate Landman. First-year starter in 2018, led the team with 105 tackles, which also ranked ninth in the Pac-12. And with Rick Gamboa gone in the middle of that defense, he's going to wear the dot and call the defensive plays. Six foot three, 230 pounds, 15 tackles for loss last year, was ranked fifth in the conference, four sacks, two picks, really impressive debut as a sophomore for Landman. Tony, you rank him as a fifth-round pick. What do you like about him? Yeah, he was a better linebacker than uh, Gamboa, that's for sure. And he's a much better athlete. You know, he's a tough, instinctive guy. He stacks well against the run. He shows ability in pursuit. Not bad in coverage. He's an excellent football player. The question with Landman is, how good of an athlete is he? Does he have really next-level foot speed? If he runs the way he plays, which I am going to assume is in the high four sevens, you're looking at a later-round pick and a guy that could be pigeonholed or, or could be categorized as a two-down player. But if somehow I'm way off and he runs much faster and he finds a speed that I just don't see on film yet, you know, he's going to go in, in the middle rounds. He's just a good rough-and-tumble middle linebacker that you can also use on special teams. Absolutely has a future at the next level. Now head up to the Pacific Northwest for our final two teams, starting with Oregon, when their first bowl game last season since their 2014 playoff run under Marcus Mariota, several third-day picks in April. But that's only because quarterback Justin Herbert went back to school. You mentioned him a little bit before when we were talking about Montez. Herbert, if he declared last year, could have been the number one overall draft pick. Decided to go back to school, wanted to play with his brother who's coming into Oregon. We've discussed how he is a bit of an introvert, as well, which you never know could have played a part in that decision. But what matters here mostly is what he does on the field. And on the field, he balls out. He tied for second in the Pac-12 with 29 touchdown passes. He's one of the highest-graded senior prospects ever by scouts. Great size at six foot six, 237 pounds. Big arm, great athlete. But obviously, he's not without his warts if you've watched him play, right, Tony? Yeah, he's not the perfect quarterback, although he did receive a huge grade from scouts coming into the season. I mean, as far as, you know, the warts in his game, as you call them, sometimes his accuracy does get away from him. He can be a little bit wild with his passes at times. He's never come through in the big games for uh, Oregon. And the big games for Oregon are regular season games against University of Washington. It's not like Tua Tagliavoa, who's battling in the SEC title game or playing for a national championship. And then there's the question, the fact that, you know, as we reported first on this uh, podcast, you know, people look at him as a social introvert, which doesn't mean he's not a bad quarterback, just means that, you know, he may be a, a quiet guy and, you know, he may have difficulty dealing with the press in a big city or, or a big market environment, which is something teams will have to take into consideration. Maybe he grows out of that. But the fact is this, when you look at his physical package, 
he's one of the best quarterbacks in this year's draft. Maybe Jordan Love of Utah State will compete with him. He's big. He's athletic. He can make plays with his arm or his legs. His foot speed and his athleticism is such that he can get outside the pocket make the throw on the move and lose nothing on his throws or take off upfield and, and pick up yardage with his legs. He uses all of his receivers. For the most part, he makes very good decisions. I don't see a lot of errant throws uh, from Herbert. Tremendous size, six six and a half, two hundred thirty eight 238 pounds, and, and has got the foot speed of a, uh, of a linebacker. Plays like a linebacker as well. You know, hopefully he takes the next step in his uh, game. Hopefully he stays healthy. I think uh, all the signs are pointing towards him being a very early pick. And I think uh, next April we're going to be talking about Justin Herbert, Tua Tagliavoa, Jordan Love is, you know, competing for that top quarterback spot. And it's all going to come down to, you know, what the team who has the first pick, the, you know, who is the apple of their eye because they're all very talented quarterbacks. Herbert's got a few things he's got to polish off and refine. He'll have the opportunity this year. Just a tremendous prospect. Now, the rest of Oregon's prospects are day three guys. Guards Shane Lemieux and Calvin Throckmorton will help protect Herbert. Lemieux is 6'4", 315 pounds. His name's second team All-Pac-12 in 2018. He made 38 straight starts at left guard. And he's a player that scouts are very high on. Now, Throckmorton, on the other hand, great versatility. Played mostly right tackle in 2016 and 2017. Started everywhere on the offensive line except left tackle in 2018. Just like Lemieux, he's made 38 consecutive starts. He's currently slotted in at right tackle, even though we have him as a guard on our board in terms of future projection. Tony, how do you feel about this duo? Yeah, I have him graded neck and neck. I know scouts like Lemieux is more of a maybe a third, fourth round pick. I believe Throckmorton is a uh, more of a, a sixth round pick. I have them both as fifth round selections. I like Lemieux. I wrote about Lemieux last year. I mean, he's big, he's tough, he's nasty. He's not the greatest athlete in the world. He's more of a small area blocker. Shows some stiffness in his game. Reportedly has uh, short arms, which I think is going to be a problem. But if you're looking for a short area mauler, Lemieux is your guy. And this week, they go up against Auburn to kick off the season. And the Lemieux battle against Derrick Brown is going to be a big one. I mean, this could be a statement game for Lemieux because Derrick Brown is going to be the best defensive lineman that he faces all year. And this is right out of the box. Throckmorton, again, he's a tackle, but I think he's more of a small area guy. Like Lemieux, not the greatest athlete, but a tough, nasty guy who plays smart football. When you watch him at tackle, he makes great use of blocking angles as well as body positioning to protect uh, Justin Herbert. I think he's a good college tackle who projects to guard at the next level. And I think he's going to be a good utility uh, lineman at the next level who can play guard or tackle as a backup. Now, with Dylan Mitchell gone, tight end Drake Breeland returns as one of Justin Herbert's top targets in the passing game. A two-year starter, 6'5", 250 pounds, a big play threat up the scene, 17 career yards per catch. So he's the guy who's going to take on a bigger role without Mitchell there. Wide receiver Juwan Johnson comes over from Penn State, had a big 2017 season with 54 catches and 701 yards, which doesn't sound like a lot, but actually ranked top 10 in the Big Ten. He struggled a bit last year along with the rest of Penn State's passing offense. Trace McSorley still got drafted in the sixth round, but he went to the Ravens who are doing their own thing kind of offensively moving forward with Lamar Jackson. But Jawan Johnson graduated, transferred to Oregon, eligible immediately as a graduate transfer. He's a guy many thought was a nice prospect before last year coming off that 2017 campaign. Now he gets to work with a top-rated quarterback. 
to really kind of help boost his draft stock. What are your expectations for these two, Tony Johnson and Breland? Yeah, top-rated quarterback who I think is going to be looking for targets. So both of these guys will have big opportunities. You know, I like Johnson a lot off the 2017 film. I had him great as a fourth-round pick, kind of fell off the cliff last year, as you mentioned. Outstanding size, six four and a half, goes about 225 pounds. He's got decent speed. He's the guy who's going to probably run in the low four fives. Showed himself to be a real good pass catcher in 2017. Really didn't show much last year. If he gets his game back on track, he's going to turn himself into a draftable commodity. I have him right now as a sixth, seventh round selection. I think there's nowhere to go but up for Juwan Johnson. When you look at the physical skills, when you look at the offense he's in now, when you look at the quarterback he has, as well as the fact that the quarterback's going to need targets. I also like Jake Breland. I mean, scouts grade him as a street free agent. You look at him, six, five and a half. 240 pounds, plays in the mid four sevens. You know, when you watch Breland, he looks like a tall, really thin guy. He's got excellent movement skills. He plays smart, tough football. Whenever Justin Herbert threw him the ball last year, he always caught it. Doesn't do a bad job blocking. Has got a lot of upside. I could see Breland off of a good season moving into the late rounds. At the very least, I think he's a practice squad prospect for the fall of 2020. Now, the Ducks do play defense as well, led by linebackers Troy Dye and Lamar Winston Jr. Dye's 115 tackles in 2018, ranked 7th in the conference, earned him second-team All-Pac-12 recognition, the team leader the past three years in that category, and is actually 121 tackles away from the all-time Oregon record. He's made 33 straight starts, but he's a bit thin, 6'4", 226 pounds. Solid athlete, though, and really flies around the field. Winston, He's a two-year starter, similar size to die, 6'2", 227, little shorter, little stockier, less production, though. Tony, you have them graded very closely on your board. What's going on there? Yeah, which is unusual because scouts, uh, some scouts have die as uh, early as the third round where they like Winston as more of a, a free agent. Die for me, is, is just not versatile enough. He's a terrific run defender, as you pointed out, but I question his skills and coverage. He should be much better. He should be more versatile. He should be more of a three-down defender uh, than he shows himself to be. He's a guy who flies around the football. He's a guy who's constantly making plays. But again, it's in more of a two-down sense. When I watch Lamar, I see a guy who plays like his hair's on fire. I mean, he is a nasty guy. He is as explosive as Die. He's probably faster than Die. He's a guy who really lays some jarring hits on ball handlers and separates the ball from them. He's forceful on the blitz. He's not bad in coverage. In my opinion, I just think that Dye is being overrated while his teammate uh, Winston Jr. is being underrated. That's why I have uh, Winston Jr. graded a little bit lower. Uh, I think when you look at Winston Jr.'s measurables, 6'2 and a half, 225 pounds, a guy who runs and plays in the low four sixes, and he plays three downs. Uh, a guy like that's going to get selected somewhere in the last day of the draft. One last defender to discuss from Oregon, and that's defensive tackle Jordan Scott. He's been a starter since his true freshman season, six foot one, 320 pounds, more of a gap occupier on the inside of the defensive line, only three career sacks and eight tackles for loss. But, Tony, I know you like Scott as a potential late-round choice. 
if he's 320 pounds, I can sing like Robert Plant because uh, Scott is a guy who's probably closer to 340. You remember when the North Carolina defensive lineman used to wear jerseys with one number and the jersey would be stretched out? And you'd say, well, you know, defensive linemen shouldn't wear just a single digit number on their jersey. Scott is the kind of guy that could wear three digits on his jersey because his number 34 is being stretched out so much. Uh, Scott is a guy who, you know, as you said, is a gap occupier, but he is your prototypical nose tackle. Your nose tackle in a two-gap system, a guy you're going to line up over the center, a guy who can take on blockers, a guy who shows the power to collapse the pocket and get behind the line of scrimmage uh, and basically disrupt the action. Not a guy that's going to make a lot of plays in pursuit, not a great pass rusher, but he's just got the size, he's got the power, he's got the mentality. No one talks about him. And I think right now I got him as a six-round pick, but he's got a great amount of upside, not so much versatility to his game, uh, but he's got great upside, his power. I love, I love the intensity, uh, but he's more of a scheme-specific type of player. Now, leaving Eugene, but staying in-state here, we find the Beavers of Oregon State, two or fewer wins in three of the last four seasons. Nobody drafted in April. And frankly, probably no one's going to get drafted in 2020 either. They do have some UDFA grades of note. Tackle Blake Brandell, the three-year starter, started at left tackle as a redshirt freshman for Oregon State for three games. Moved to right tackle when Falcons' 2017 fourth-round pick Sean Harlow returned from injury that year. After that season, moved back to left tackle. He's been on the blind side ever since. Tony, what intrigues you about Brandell? He's very consistent. He's very dependable, but he's not a good athlete. You know, he's got adequate size, six, six and a half, 305 pounds. Not a guy that's got great foot quickness. Gets by with a lot of effort and a lot of solid mechanics. I don't think a guy like that is draftable. He's more of a practice squad player. Could have a future at the next level because of the way he approaches the game, but I think he's more, if he does have a future at the next level, it's as a backup. Now, Timmy Hernandez graduated at wide receiver, but both Isaiah Hodgins and Trevon Bradford will hold it down at the position. Hodgins started six games as a true freshman. He's running with the ones ever since. 6'4", 209 pounds. Led the team with 59 catches and 876 yards last season, whereas Bradford was the team leader with six touchdown receptions in his first year as a starter. He was also used on reverses. He has returnability as well. A bit smaller, six foot, 182 pounds. Compliment to Hodgins, who's a little bit bigger. Tony, what are your thoughts on these receivers? You know, they complement each other. Hodgins is my highest rated Oregon State player. He's a guy who's a bigger bodied possession receiver, very dependable hands, a decent red zone target, even though Bradford had more touchdown receptions, a guy who's so tall, he really stands out when you watch him on film. But as most bigger possession receivers, speed and quickness are a question with him. They're not so much a question with Bradford. Bradford's got outstanding quickness, not the fastest guy, not a guy that's got a second gear, but someone who runs excellent routes, separates from opponents, shows a good head on his shoulders, knows what his quarterback's doing, comes back to the quarterback, works to make himself an available target. I have him graded right now as a free agent. Scouts think he's on the cusp of being drafted. If it is, it's because teams project him as a fifth receiver, return specialist, reportedly has short arms and small hands, which I think is going to hurt him. He's a real good football player. I don't think he's the greatest athlete in the world, but I think there are things you can do with him in the vein of being a fifth receiver and return specialist. Now on defense for the Beavers, safety Jalen Moore, 10th in the Pac-12 last year with 102 tackles, is a two-year starter on their defense, six foot, 213 pounds, more of a box safety, does have some special teams potential, but haven't seen a ton in coverage. Tony, do you agree? 
Yeah, and I mean, he's indicative of what we've seen from Oregon State in the sense that he's a good football player, but he's not a great athlete, which is why Oregon State really hasn't won too many games recently. You know, gets it between the ears, very instinctive, intense, a guy who's willing to mix it up, be very competitive, but he's just got athletic and range limitations, which is why I think he ends up on the outside looking in when it comes to next April's draft. Now, I'll get to a couple of week one previews in just a moment here, but first, Please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch. And with football season fast approaching, head over to VegasSportsAdvisors.com. If it's winners you want, VegasSportsAdvisors.com is here to help with a dozen pro handicappers posting information and picks on all the games. Use the promo code DRAFTANALYST with no space in between the words to unlock your free one-week trial today. Now, speaking of football season approaching, we've got a full slate of games this week starting Thursday, but we'll look at Friday where Utah State heads to Wake Forest. We talked up the Demon Deacons defense in our ACC preview. They're going to face an immediate test against quarterback Jordan Love, who we brought up a couple times earlier this episode junior quarterback we also talked about a lot last season. People are starting to come around to him as a top-tier NFL prospect. 32 touchdowns, six interceptions, completed 64% of his passes last season. Did lose some talent around him. Wide receiver Ronquavian Tarver, tight end Dax Raymond, and running back Darwin Thompson are all gone from last year's team. Thompson is actually thriving with the Chiefs right now, looking like he's going to be a big part of that offense under Andy Reid. But they're facing draftable talent, at every level, Utah State is. Carlos Basham Jr. is going to be pressuring off the edge. Linebacker Justin Strenad is going to cover the middle of the field in the flats. They have a pair of solid corners as well on defense and Amari Henderson and Isang Bassi. This is probably an underrated game for draft purposes and definitely a big test for Love. He's also going to end up facing LSU in October. So we're going to see Jordan Love against some big schools and against some good defense this season and really be able to evaluate him. But for this game, Tony, how do you feel about it? It's funny about Jordan Love. Once the 2019 draft ended, I put out a mock 2020 draft, and I had Jordan Love as the 11th pick to the Minnesota Vikings. And there were a lot of people who kind of scoffed at that, said that uh, I was reaching, and now you're you're hearing uh, Jordan Love being talked about as he should be as a potential very early pick. This is a big test for him. I mean, this is the second hardest test that he will face all season. You mentioned the LSU game, which is everyone's going to have their eyes on that. But this is also a big game. And and you mentioned all the players that Love is going to be faced up against. Carlos Basham, the uh, pass rusher who I have graded as a third-round pick, is going to be breathing down his neck. Justin Strenad is one of the most underrated linebackers in the nation. He covers the middle of the field, that, that, that second level, outstanding, with his ability to go sideline to sideline. You look at their two cornerbacks. Uh, Bassey is graded by some scouts as a potential second-round pick. Other scouts have him as a free agent. I have him as a seventh rounder. He's a fast guy. He's a tough, competitive guy, but he struggles making plays with his back to the ball. And I think Jordan Love can exploit that. Amari Henderson, who's got excellent size at six foot tall, 170 pounds, 4.41 speed. He wasn't even graded by scouts. I have him as a seventh rounder right now. I have him higher than Bassey. If you go and look at the uh, my, my write-up uh, for Wake Forest at Pro Football Network, uh, he's a guy who probably would pay better in 2017. And he played in 2018, but he's got some next-level skills. Jordan Love's going to get it from all areas. He's going to have a pass rusher, 
breathing down his neck. He's going to have a linebacker who can cover the tight ends and the running backs, and he's going to be playing against two cornerbacks. So it's an excellent challenge, an opportunity for Jordan Love, as it is for the Wake Forest defense. The second game we want to highlight here for the week one slate is Northwestern at Stanford, and specifically the Wildcats defense against the Cardinal offense. Joe Gaggiano, pass rusher, 16 and a half sacks the last two seasons, graded as a priority free agent on our board, and he's going to get a big test facing off with Walker Little, who's a first-round tackle for us for the Stanford Cardinal, a great pass blocker. So keep an eye on those two and see what's going on play-by-play with that matchup. Also watch out for Colby Parkinson. Stanford tight ends are usually a big deal. Even guys last year like Caden Smith who went later in the draft, that's kind of the floor for a lot of Stanford Cardinal tight ends. Parkinson is just next up in the pipeline. We're going to see a lot of Patty Fisher covering him, a guy a lot of analysts love. He's not as highly rated by scouts or by us, though. Tony, what are you watching from these matchups in this game? This is a statement game for Graziano. If he has any hope of being drafted, he's got to show well against Walker Little, who's one of my highest-rated offensive tackles and who I think is a surefire first-rounder and a guy we'll talk about in part two of our Pac-12 podcast. You know, a lot of people like Colby Parkinson. I'm not sold on him, but I'm not sold on Patty Fisher. And one of the things that concern me about Patty Fisher is his ability and coverage. And what's going to happen is, is Colby Parkinson, like a lot of the previous uh, Stanford tight ends, are basically pass catchers first and blocker second. So Patty Fisher is going to have an ability, an opportunity to show his cover skills how good they are, how good they aren't against Colby Parkinson, who I'm sure will be sent over the middle of the field on that second level on pass routes throughout this entire game. Now, one more matchup for you guys before we head out. Virginia heads to Pittsburgh for their week one matchup. A lot of people like Bryce Hall. He's a third round cornerback on our board, but he does have room to move up. Just need to see it this year. And he's going to get tested from the start. Pitt has two NFL hopeful wide receivers in Taysier Mack and Maurice French. Hall is likely going to see a lot of Mac. He does give up an inch to Mac, who's 6'2". Hall is 6'1". But they're similar players in terms of they both have good length. Neither overwhelms you with athletic ability. I think that's going to be a fun battle to watch. Do you agree, Tony? That is true. But when he's matched up against Maurice French, French is faster than Bryce Hall. And the one question about Bryce Hall's game is his actual foot speed, his 40 time. Can he stay downfield with faster receivers or speedy receivers? French doesn't have the second gear, but he's a guy who can go vertical. So it'll be interesting to see when Bryce Hall's matched up against him, if he's able to stay step for step with him down the field. And that's it for the 84th episode of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, Please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll finish the Pac-12 and officially wrap up our summer conference previews on our next episode. But in the meantime, make sure you head over to profootballnetwork.com where you can find all of Tony's team-by-team previews from every conference that we've gone over so far this summer. On behalf of Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Enjoy the games this weekend, everybody.